If you knew that God was willing to fill you with spiritual life, godliness, glory, and his own divine nature, would you ask him to do it? I think you would, because obviously, having that kind of life poured into you would be wonderful. And here's the good news. God is willing. He has made all of his divine power and goodness available to us so that we might experience the fullness of his life, glory, and divine nature. First and foremost, we have to see God as a giver. You know, like in my own life, for far too long, I just saw him as a God who was demanding and full of commands to do and don't do. But if we can get our minds wrapped around the fact that God really is a giver, that's what makes you fruitful. That's what brings joy. That's what invigorates your service and your love for him. But here's the thing. The Bible teaches over and over that if we want to experience that kind of life, there are things we must do. I think that's important just to acknowledge that we need to do something, you know. It's not enough to just kind of sit back and go through motions or wait for the Lord to do everything for us. He does have an expectation that you and I will do something. In fact, Peter starts this whole thing by saying, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. <laughs> There's no shortcuts, in other words, right? No, spare no effort or expense, you know, spend yourself and be spent in doing these things because this is really worth it. So what is our part? What must we do to experience the reality of God's life and power? That's what 2 Peter 1, 3-11 is all about. I'm your host, Nate Dancer. This is the final episode in our series, A Firm Foundation. Here we go. Okay, so Pastor Ed uh, Book is here with me for the last episode in our series of Firm Foundation. Pastor Ed is the Vice President for Counseling Programs. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Hi, Nate. It's good to be here today. Thanks. Okay. So we are going to talk about 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And this is a very meaty passage, especially the first few verses. But could I just have you read that for us? Sure. And uh, for the record, I read out of the New King James translation here. And it starts with, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So how do you want to talk about this? Well, actually, Nate, in my mind, uh, I kind of wanted to start with that last section, verses 8 through 11, mm -hmm. really, because I think it helps lay a foundation for why we should care about what came before. You know, Peter's writing for a little bit different purpose, maybe, and, and expresses things, but for a different audience. But uh, for our folks, I think we could really relate to some of what he's talking about in verse 8 through 11 there. Okay. For example, he says, you know, if these things are yours and abound, so that phrase, these things, is everything that came before, and we'll get back to that. But, okay. yep. but he says you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful. And honestly, I guess I, I believe that there are a lot of people who just feel that way, <laughs> that they're 
kind of barren. They, they drag themselves to church on Sunday morning, but it's not really a joy. There's no passion in it. It's not like they're going out on a date with Jesus <laughs> mm. uh, on Sunday mornings. It's more drudgery obligation for a lot of people and their religion for whatever reason just isn't bearing fruit and there's none of the joy there's not even really victory over sin in many cases and so i think that these verses and these things that peter's wanting to convey have a lot to say to people who are in that situation and he even talks about forgetting that they were cleansed of their old sins uh, you know that's how it happens that somebody can end up right back in their old habitual sins you know maybe they had a period of victory or something even but you can end up back in there hmm. and then he goes into talking about you know being even more diligent to make their calling and election sure. Like, like mm. be diligent. We have to keep pursuing the Lord, keep pressing on toward the heavenly calling, if we use Paul's phrase for it, mm. right? Uh, we can't rely on our past prayers, our past experiences with the Lord, things like that, past altar calls that we responded to. You know, I think of First Peter in the first chapter, verse 9 there, he talks about receiving as the end of our faith the salvation of our souls. And in 1 Corinthians 1.18, where Paul's talking about the message of the cross being foolishness, he says it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, mm. it is the power of God. So I'm saved, but I'm also being saved. And uh, salvation then is an ongoing thing if you really read it carefully in the scripture. And so it begins with conversion, but it doesn't end there. We have to persevere in it. And that's what Peter is getting at here. He says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. And in fact, it'll lead to this abundant entrance into the heavenly kingdom for you one day. So these things becomes like really important that we have to go back and look at these things. What is Peter really talking about there? Because so much is attached to that. Our whole life in God is attached to how well we do these things that Peter's exhorting us to do. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I picked this passage because I thought that it would be a nice finishing touch to the series because it kind of gives people like a game plan in a way. Like, mm -hmm. hey, okay, so I've begun here. Now I need to add to this and add to this. And then he's saying, you're going to have a rich abundance or a rich entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But honestly, I didn't really uh, know a ton about the context of mm -hmm. the book or the letter. I haven't really done a, a deep study on Second Peter ever. But I found it so interesting that as I read through the letter a couple of different times, yesterday and this morning, I realized, oh my goodness, this book is saying almost the exact same thing that the letter to Titus mm. was mm -hmm. saying. It says almost the same thing that 1 John. It says almost the same thing as, um, what was what was the other one Jude, I was thinking? Maybe? Jude. I can't remember the some of the other passages that we've studied in this mm. series. It's I like see. saying the same thing over and over and over. Mm. We talked about the true grace of God, how it leads to godliness. The true love of God leads to godliness. Mm. Mm. Um and this is just another example of two messages that are going out into the world. One message, um, this is coming from the second chapter of Second Peter, there's false prophets arising from among the people, and they're bringing in destructive heresies. And the heresy is you can live in sin and still mm. know God. Yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> same old, same old, isn't it? <laughs> same old, same old. Yeah. So mm. it was just really fascinating to me that this has been saying the same thing that we've been talking about over and over, which apparently we need to hear it over and over. Yeah. Because it's rife in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Peter even alludes to that. Like I've said some of these things before, but it doesn't bother me to say them again because we do need to hear them over and over. Mm -hmm. and, and it can be an encouragement either way. You know, that it, maybe someone is in that barren, unfruitful state that I was talking about, and this will really minister to them somehow. But maybe it's on the other side, and they're just really, you know, they've been working at it, pressing on toward the heavenly calling, but this should become an exhortation and an encouragement 
then that, yeah, you're on the right path, doing the right thing, keep doing it. Don't quit, don't give up, don't get weary in well-doing in that sense. And yeah. so it should be helpful and encouraging to anyone, really. Yeah, and because he's, he also says in verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then in verse 8 says that these qualities will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our mm-hmm. Lord Jesus Christ. And at the very end of the book, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he's he's really, it's almost like he's saying, listen, if you are calling yourself a Christian, why be barren and unfruitful in this? Right. Why, why go to church and read the Bible and do all of these things in a way that produces nothing. Mm-hmm. What good is that? Who wants to do that? Right. Yeah. That's that's really a heavy burden and a tiring life. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. yeah. And many so, of us are kind of familiar with it. Like, I've done that for years. For uh, sure. Yeah. And so he's telling us how to not do that, but mm-hmm. how to live a life in Jesus that is full of it produces something for others, and there's life there. There's reality there. You know, it's like if you go up to a tree, and you're just starving, and there's nothing on it. It's like, man, what good is this thing? Yeah. But if there's plump, juicy fruit, it's like that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. So this is telling us how to have that kind of spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I I guess it would be good to just go back up to verse 3 now and kind of lay the foundation there by using verses 8 through 11 as our starting point. But Mm -hmm. um, in verse 3, he says that his divine power has given to us all things. And I guess even that word given, uh, I don't know how other people study the scripture, but for me, Nate, this is one of the things I do. I just pause over what I feel are just some key phrases and ponder them for a little bit, flesh them out in my mind my thinking a little bit. So when I read that phrase that he's given us all things, I mean, that's just a few words that seem to say a lot, like mm. <laughs> given us all things. And first and foremost, we have to see God as a giver. You know, like in my own life for far too long, I just saw him as a God who was demanding and full of commands to do and don't do. And when you see him like that, it paralyzes you really. And there's no love, there's no joy, there's no service to the Lord that you're rendering that that is meaningful. And everything is just a heavy burden. And it's But if we can get our minds wrapped around the fact that God really is a giver, you know, I think one of the things Peter is saying is that's what makes you fruitful. That's what brings joy. That's what invigorates your service and your love for him when you see that he's giving, not demanding, that he bestows gifts. He's uh, not commands only on us. So that's a place to start in Mm -hmm. how we see God. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's really it's really interesting. As soon as you started talking about that God is a giver, I thought of John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. Mm-hmm. And I had actually gone through before and marked every time the word give or given oh, wow. yeah. is in those verses. And because this is his last, you know, this is the last supper and he's talking to his disciples and mm-hmm. He just starts saying, give, 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 over and over. Not a command, you do this, but I have done this. I've given you. I mean, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In the high priestly prayer, he said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. Yours they were. You gave them to me. I have given them the words you gave me. So, yeah, it's just over and over. I mean, the high priestly prayer has give, 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 give over and over. Mm. And it just, it hit me because in that time, he was like, in a sense, commissioning them for the rest of their lives in a way, you know, like Mm. these were the last things he wanted to say before he died. And... What he really wanted to say is God's a giver. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. And Peter's picking up that same theme here and saying we need to know that and mm-hmm. remember that. And he's given us all things. Uh, that word all there, by the way, is very emphatic in the Greek. It's, it's implying there is absolutely nothing that's been left out. He's given mm-hmm. us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything you and I need for life, for abundant life, for godliness, for good, holy character in our lives. And uh, he's given us those things. But, you know, I think it's true, Nate, that he didn't give all that to us in like a mature version. You know, it's like we have the seed of it in us. And it's our job to help cultivate that and nurture that and let it mature in us. Uh To work out what has been worked in. Yes, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. And then he talks about how we've been uh, called by his glory and virtue here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the glory just refers to his presence. So you you have a real picture of that in the Old Testament during the Exodus where God appeared as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And, you know, that's the glory of God and, and that symbolized his presence. And we have that same glory and virtue calling us. His presence is in us, calling mm-hmm. us. And virtue is a uh, you know, I love that word because it's one of the few words. Uh, it seems to me with biblical terminology, we either kind of water it down over time, kind of dumb it down, and it loses something, or we just quit using it, and it's so archaic we don't really know what it means anymore. <laughs> and I feel like virtues in the second category, where it's one of those archaic words we just don't really use or know what it means anymore. But it's a reference to God's energy and power. Like when the woman with the issue of blood came up and touched the hem of Mm. Jesus's garment, Jesus says, at least in the old King James translation, that virtue went out of him. It was power. It was energy. And that's what is calling us to the Lord. And he's given us then on top of that, these exceedingly great and precious promises. Or if you, you know, we've taken that word out of the Greek mega and use it now in uh, modern language. And so he's saying he's given us mega promises. (laughs) And I think he's referring specifically there to the gift of Jesus, you know, the atonement for our sin, the forgiveness for our sin, everything that's meant and wrapped up in Jesus's life and death and burial and resurrection. And also the gift, the promise there of the Holy Spirit that was promised. It's referred to even as the promise of God. At one point, Jesus calls it that. So I think that's one of the promises that Peter specifically has in mind, that we would have this Holy Spirit who supplies, you know, the strength and comfort, the support we need when we're going through things, right? And also the power that leads to victory over temptation and over sin and secures our adoption as sons, uh, points us to our own glorious resurrection coming one day. I mean, these are really great and precious promises, and it's really everything that's embodied in the new covenant for us mm. there. So, Yeah, I love how, because I'm thinking about there's like two different types of people or maybe two errors on the, on the side of every truth. Mm. Um, I guess there's two different types of people. I'm totally going to overcharacterize this, but one type of person basically says, God doesn't require anything of me. His grace covers everything. I'm forgiven. I can just live however I want, and God and me are good. The other person on the other side sees all the demands. He sees the requirements. He sees the holiness, and it just is like a heavy weight. How could I ever do all of this? Mm. You know, And so... This first few verses really meet the need for both of those people. Yeah. Like the person who just takes it easy on themselves all the time can see, wow, okay, I've been called. There's such precious promises here that I'm clearly called to a very real, holy, spiritual life. You yes. know, God's not letting me off the hook. Right. Yeah. But then the other person who, probably sees the demands and the weight and the sobriety of it all, if they would just meditate on this first section before getting to any of what I, what do I have to do, Yeah, just seeing his power giving us all things in the knowledge of Jesus by his own glory. I mean, you could just 
soak in in that for a week yeah. before you ever <laughs> say, now what do I res- how do I respond? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, and Peter takes us right into, now there's an outcome of all of that. And one of the outcomes is that we're partakers of the divine nature. I mean, what an amazing thought, right? That, that men like you and I, who through faith can actually experience the life of God indwelling us, living in us, alive mm-hmm. in us, active in us. We have the very substance, nature of God somehow embedded in us. Uh, mm. I mean, that's amazing to me. And... I don't know, it just kind of blows your mind, really, if you pause to think about it and like, why am I settling for a life that is anything less than the full expression of these great and precious promises then? Mm -hmm. And the second benefit of all of that is it says we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, you know. And I guess, you know, Nate, uh, I guess I'll throw this in there. I, I don't want to be controversial here, but I just want to point out that many times we suppose that we're going to escape the world through some sort of rapture happening. But here in this passage, what Peter says is it's through partaking of the divine nature, becoming Christ-like in our character and our bearing, that we escape the world and all of its corruption. And I think we have to give some weight to that at least and Mm -hmm. realize that that's the intent that the Lord has for us in escaping the world. Yeah, and maybe we could just also highlight for those who for those who feel like kind of similar to what you were saying at the very beginning is when you see all the demands and all the commands and you kind of see that as a heavy weight in a sense and so you gravitate towards someone who makes the Christian life look easy. Mm-hmm. Right? But look at what Peter is saying if you take this really seriously, what you escape is the corruption that's in the world through lust, right? Yeah. And the burden of all of that, this soul burden that's in you, people that make make it easy, you can do whatever you want, are actually encouraging you into a life of bondage. Right. And that's what chapter 2 is all about, that they promise you freedom, but they aren't even escaping from right. the bondage of the flesh, right? So they... They're leading you down a destructive and deceptive path, but if you would go the way that he's saying, then it's going to lead you into this abundant life and right into the gates of heaven. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what he says. It's amazing, right? Yeah. And and so I think it's worth just, you know, really focusing then some time here on verses 5 through 7 because that's the... That's what Peter does. He says, this is how you need to to live. This is what you need to do now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important just to acknowledge that we need to do something. You know, It's not enough to just kind of sit back and go through motions or wait for the Lord to do everything for us. Mm-hmm. He does have an expectation that you and I will do something. In fact, Peter starts this whole thing by saying, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. <laughs> uh, so he, he throws that word diligent in there at us, you know, uh, there's no shortcuts, in other words, right? Spare no effort or expense, Mm. you know, spend yourself and be spent in doing these things because this is really worth it. Mm. And the first thing he tells us to do then is to add to your faith or supply to your faith, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And he goes on to give us a a list of things that one commentator called them, I believe, the seven fair fruits of holiness. And, you know, I want to look at those, I guess, individually is kind of what I had in mind for us to do here. But I want to talk about faith just for a second, too, because faith really is the foundation, right? He's saying, Peter's assuming, in a sense, that we have a foundation of faith. He's saying, add to your faith. And faith has to be that foundation. And we see that all throughout Scripture really, like 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight, or Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews 11, there's the statement, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in 1 John, you mentioned uh, 1 John earlier, where he talks about uh, the victory that has overcome the world is our faith, right? And consequently, I think a key to overcoming all that is in the world, where he, in earlier in 1 John, he talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of that's in the world. Well, faith is certainly a key then to overcoming all that's in the world. Oh, 
That is awesome. Wow, yeah, I never connected those two. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I don't know about you, but you know, I grew up at Pure Life in the faith, so to speak. You know, I had some experience beforehand, but I've been here 18 years. And when I think of faith now, what really comes to mind a lot is the definition that Pastor Steve has given us here of faith. That it's uh, it's kind of a threefold definition. The first part is living in the reality of God and His kingdom. So I'm aware that there's this invisible realm, that there's a Creator, a Lord, uh, that there's a battle going on with evil forces out there, living in the reality of God and his kingdom and believing in the good and merciful character of God. And that right there is kind of the heart of it. You know, this has to be a personal knowledge that I gain through intimacy and gets tested through trials at a very personal level. But you come into that belief, that faith, that awareness that God is good and merciful no matter what I'm experiencing. I learn to see that in the midst of it, right? And then, uh, so it's living in the reality of God and his kingdom, believing in the good and merciful character of God, and then living your life with the conviction of these things. It has to change the way you live or it's not real faith. Mm -hmm. So that's our foundation. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. adding to our faith, the very first thing that Peter said to add is we're back to that word virtue. It's interesting, isn't it? He used it earlier, speaking of God, in verse 3, his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You know, And if you really dig into that Greek word there, it's, uh, it denotes a, a good quality or excellence of any kind, really. And if you look at the way it was used back in ancient times it was used to denote things like manliness or vigor or courage, valor, fortitude, you know, those would all be synonyms for it. Uh, But very broadly, it also denoted energy and power of some kind. And I mentioned that earlier with uh, Jesus saying virtue went out of him when he healed the woman with the issue of blood. And so God has displayed his energy and power in the work of our salvation, right? And now he's saying, in a sense, Peter's saying, look, God's done his part. He's He's done his power, his energy, put it all in action for your salvation, and now you have to bring your own alongside and marry it to God's. And the two of you working together will produce the the qualities that really need to happen on top Mm. of your faith. Yeah, that's good. It's right at the very beginning. Like, you're going to need to develop in some ways that are going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Developing in knowledge and discernment is difficult. Self-control, perseverance, godliness. You know, this is not yeah. easy stuff. So what you need at the very beginning is this belief, this reality of God and his kingdom, this belief that he's good and merciful. Mm-hmm. And then you need to add to that an activity and an energy so yes. that you're going, you're exercising your will but in a way that you believe this is going to be good because mm-hmm. God's good, right? right? It's like a way to <laughs> see the world and a way to see life where you're not going in defeated mm-hmm. and you're not going in passive. Right. You're facing it, but in a attitude of faith. Yes. And even in this process, he's not asking us to do anything more than he's already done himself yep. on our behalf, mm-hmm. right? Hmm. So... So that word virtue, you know, different translations would say moral excellence, maybe noble character, worthiness, I think some of them say. Uh, My concern with those translations is that uh, they all lose the idea of power and energy, and that's really a key part of this word. Right. Albert Barnes is one of my go-to commentators at times, and, and he said, true virtue is not a tame or passive thing. It requires great energy and boldness. Mm. Like virtue, Nate, is the thing that actually, you know, our faith has lots of enemies out there. And uh, virtue is the thing that when I encounter one of those enemies, like unbelief or fear or presumption or legalism, that's the thing that makes me like draw the sword and do battle in that moment. I'm not just going to lay down and let those enemies r- overrun me. I'm going to fight back against them. And it's virtue is that energy, that power. It's that valor, that <laughs> courage that comes to play that makes me want to take on those enemies of the faith. Mm. Um, 
You know, the other thing, too, that I'm just thinking, as you're saying that, so virtue is courage. I know I've heard you say it before that, like, I'm not a fighter, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, by nature, I'm not this, I'm going to take my enemies and come hell or high water. I'm not like that. Mm. But I'm just also thinking for those who are, by nature, maybe a little bit more passive and just kind of wondering, how in the world am I going to do all this? When that woman reached out and grabbed mm. the hem of his garment, the virtue came from him into her and right. affected a change, right? right? So it's his yeah. virtue working within us. So this isn't, it's not only that God has done everything he, like he's done everything he needs to do, but he's not just standing there passive like, well, let's see how you do. Yeah, that's right. He's made the way and yes. he's on the way. Yes, when God's energy and power goes in motion, it doesn't just stop. It mm. continues in motion. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, she didn't lose her healing down the road. She maintained that that power went into her and and changed her and continued to heal her. So, yeah, it's it's a marvelous word really that uh, yeah. <laughs> we need to bring back into our language a little bit, really. And maybe just to wrap that up, you know, the opposite of virtue is really cowardice taking the easy path, the path of least resistance, you know, and we, we say that sometimes like this is just too hard for me or I'm afraid or I can't, you know, but what we're really probably saying in our heart, if we were more honest, is I'm just not willing. And that's the opposite of virtue when mm. we're in that unwilling place. Hmm. Okay, so then what do we add to that? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot, you know, a lot of times we skip right over the virtue because it's this next thing that we think is really the missing piece of our life, the knowledge. You know, there's just a, a thirst for knowledge, a hunger for knowledge in our culture today. You know, I am old enough to remember the very early days of the internet when it was still referred to as the information highway and it was going to be this, you know, marvelous invention that would change the world. And, well, they were right about that. I'm not sure it's been at all... <laughs> for good, right. but, but, you know, information, knowledge is just so readily available to us mm. uh, that we take it for granted. But in this passage, I think it is interesting. One of the other things that I look for, I mentioned looking for particular phrases and just meditating on them. The other thing I look for is repetition. And when you see words that are repeated, like you mentioned the give over and over in uh, the latter chapters of John there, knowledge is mentioned several times here in these few verses. It's spoken of at least three times, I think. So obviously there's a huge emphasis in Peter's mind on knowing the Lord. He wants us to know him. God wants us to know him. Knowing him is absolutely essential for obeying him or loving him or seeking him or yielding to him, having a life in him, with him. We have to know him. So that's what's really being referred to here. And there are just you know, lots of verses. If you just did a word study on knowledge, you'd find lots of verses that talk about coming into a knowledge of God. And just a couple of them, like Romans eleven thirty three, says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know, that's like you just hear the call to know him in that verse, right? <laughs> How wonderful it is. Oh, the depth of it. You know, come mm. on into it. You can't hit touch bottom here. This is, the, you know, come on into the deep water and know God like that. And there, like I said, there are a number of other verses. I won't read a bunch of them, but we've been raised, Nate, in a, a culture that tells us knowledge is the result of studying and going to school and doing well in school and getting good grades. And, you know, I learned the hard way that that's not really knowledge because, you know, I was on track to graduate cum laude from seminary, but had to take a break right at the end of my uh, master's degree program and come to Pure Life Ministries and go through the residential program here at Pure Life because I had all this knowledge that I was able to regurgitate and make really awesome grades at a very fine conservative seminary. It wasn't their fault, but it wasn't translating into life in me. And that was my fault. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just clear to me that, you know, scripturally, the Bible teaches us that the knowledge of God is, comes as the result of doing 
what's right, not just regurgitating or memorizing or some studying what's right. It's doing what's right. Again, back to 1 John, because he says there, now by this we know him if we keep his commandments. So it's the doing that is getting emphasized there. And uh, we need to do that if we're going to know the Lord. Mm. Yeah. The thing that, I don't know if this made a huge impact, but I've just, it has, understanding what the Bible teaches about real knowledge has been a help for me because I tend to be very cerebral and intellectual, but I just, I've, I've thought about how when it says that a man has sexual intercourse with his wife, it says that he mm, he mm-hmm. knows her. Yeah, in the King James language. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. he knew her. Yeah. And to me, that has been very enlightening, that real knowledge with God is, I don't want to be irreverent, but real knowledge of God is God somehow interacting with us mm-hmm. in a way that's so intimate that it creates a new life inside of us. Mm-hmm. And with if that life isn't happening, then it's not knowledge. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what James says when he talks about the Word of God needing to be engrafted into us. It has to become a living part of us. Like when mm. you, that's a term from horticulture where you take a tree and you can graft another branch into a tree and they do it in orchards and things to, to make uh, certain kinds of fruits and, and so forth. But that's what the Word of God needs to do. It gets, it just becomes part of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's why, I, again, just to, I try in every episode to bring some kind of clarity or reference to why we're doing this series mm. because, I mean, you can read theology textbooks or you can go on a hunt for knowledge, but there's, there is really something about just like a daily soaking in the Word of God and yearning for Him, yearning for an experience with Him, not just an emotional experience, but a spiritual experience with the Lord in his word where his word is revealed to us and goes mm-hmm. into us and takes root and begins to change us. Yes. And that seems like, I don't know, there, everybody has to work it out on their own. It seems like it's not only doing as if I just, okay, I read this, how do I do it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like it's a relationship with him where you're seeing something of him and that does happen as a reflex, but it's also your choice and your will. Mm-hmm. So it's a mystery. It is, yeah. The, the only word that is coming to mind is like conform. You know, we, it's not just doing the word maybe, but it's conforming ourselves and our mm-hmm. life and especially our inner world to the word of God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Well, and, and you know, this knowledge that we're talking about, Paul experienced it. And he said that he counted everything else loss, (laughs) except for, how did he say it? I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Mm. Yeah, This is a precious knowledge when you come Mm. into it. Um, Mm. And the opposite of it really is deception. You know, that's what you're left with. If you don't know God, you're in deception. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have to all be careful that we don't deceive ourselves, again, as James puts it, by just being hearers of the word. We have to be doers of the word, actively studying it like we are talking about. But, I, you know, I even jotted down a little note here for myself. Like, it doesn't do any good to study the word of God unless I'm actively studying the word as a means of deepening my relationship with God. Like, I actually wrote that down here, and that's real to me. It's It's got to be about relationship at the end. Mm. Uh, you don't get true knowledge secondhand either. You have to pursue it on your own and let God engraft that word into us, uh, makes it part of us so that we're not just quoting it from memory or out of our minds, but we're expressing it as testimony out of our life. Hmm. 
So then we move on to self-control. Yeah, self-control. We all want and need more of that, and we know it comes as a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you know, I don't know that it needs a lot of definition, but one of my go-to sources, by the way, for definitions is uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary okay. because he was a man of God who gave words uh, very biblical definitions, like the Bible was still the textbook. And hmm. so, however it was conveyed in Scripture really shows up in his definition. So he says of self-control, he calls it habitual moderation and restrained indulgence. So I like that. That works for me. Our knowledge is what has to be tempered by that or restrained by self-control here, right? You know, the truth of the matter is, Nate, that geniuses can go crazy. Right? Yeah. We even have that, uh, an allusion to it in Scripture in Acts 26, where Governor Festus says to Paul, he says, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad, <laughs> right? It drives us crazy. And maybe you remember that movie a uh, number of years back now, but uh, A Beautiful Mind. Oh, yeah. It's a true story of uh, Nobel Prize winning scientist, uh, mathematician, actually. And yeah, he was just going crazy in his mind. And mm. that's what happens sometimes with too much knowledge, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As I was as I was studying this, I, I can't remember if I read it somewhere or if I just read something that triggered this thought, but it's easy for us to think in terms of, okay, so sex is good, but it has to be in its proper limits and proper context. Okay. Maybe I'm okay with drinking alcohol, but it has to be very restrained, or food mm -hmm. has to be restrained, or entertainment has to be restrained. But it just, something triggered for me that anything that feels good and seems good outside of God has to be restrained. Like, we can't just yeah. go with ourselves, and even maybe our intellect, or our feelings, or our perspectives, like, we can't just let ourselves do what it wants to do unchecked. Right. That's very true, Nate. And, you know, I think alongside that, we have to especially exercise self-control in our knowledge of evil. That's what Scripture tells us mm -hmm. even, right? The, I want you to be wise in what is good, uh, Paul wrote to the Romans, and simple or, you know, unwise in a sense concerning evil. And that unrestrained passions, <laughs> uh, human abilities, whatever, like you were saying, they, they all need to come under the Lord. Like God has to be a filter over all of that for us or a, a set of boundaries around all of that for us. Mm. You know, even our intellect, if we go back to the context here, it's knowledge, uh, self-control, following our knowledge, our pursuit of things intellectually, because that's a real enemy of the faith, actually. Paul even says the natural reasoning mind can't comprehend the things of God, the things of faith, right, the things of the Spirit. And then you look at what's happened when we didn't follow that, when we didn't live under that boundary, under the guise of critical thinking, uh, modern scholarship has, you know, attacked the very authenticity of Scripture and taken whole passages and just dismissed them as untrustworthy yeah. uh, and thrown them out, essentially. That's what happens with unrestrained intellect. Mm. Um, yeah, and it can happen yeah. even in a sincere believer. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, okay, so let's say that you've got this young believer and he's got faith and yeah. now he's adding courage, mm -hmm. and now he's adding knowledge. Mm -hmm. Boy, it's easy in that trajectory to become pretty self-confident. Yeah, very prideful. Uh, I went that route <laughs> myself for mm -hmm. sure for a while, you know, but uh, one of the true hallmarks of knowledge, I think, is that we realize how much we don't know mm. instead of thinking we know it all. Mm -hmm. yeah. hmm. And the opposite of self-control, if we can just talk about that briefly here for a second, is really that lack of restraint then, right? So, and specifically, again, in this context, it's making knowledge itself the end goal even, right? And Paul warns us about that when he was writing to Second Timothy. He spoke of the end times and how evil they would be, and he talks about people being led away by various lusts, always learning, he says, but what? Never, never able to yeah. come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, yeah. wow. 
Yeah. That's the opposite of self-control, and that's what will happen. And Paul says we're going to be inundated with that (laughs) in the latter days here that I think we're already in. That's going to be the prevailing experience out there. Hmm. So, and then to our self-control, we need to add perseverance, right? And I mean, the Bible is absolutely just chock full of references to perseverance or its various synonyms, patience, long-suffering, steadfastness, endurance, you know, all of those kinds of terms. It's it's exactly what Paul's talking about in pressing on toward the heavenly calling, (laughs) right? It's not enough to start well, Nate. We have to finish well. Romans 2, we must persevere in doing good. Luke 8, we must bear fruit with patience. Hebrews 12, we must run with endurance the race that is set before us. And Hebrews 10, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise, which is a very shorthand version of what Peter is saying here in a a few more verses. Mm -hmm. And I think perseverance, one aspect of it that we should talk about is that it really entails a cheerful submission to the will of God. You know, it's not just kind of pressing my way through, but it's there's a cheerful, a joyfulness in it that this is the right path. I'm doing the right thing and, and I'm willingly doing that, coming under the will of God. It's as much an inward attitude, I think, Nate, as it is an outward doing of something. Yeah, and you'll get that cheerfulness when you have they, – they all clearly build on each other, mm-hmm. but you have to like mix faith into everything. Yes. In every one of these. Otherwise, I mean, you can have some form of courage, but it just ends up being just self-strength or... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, self-effort. A, self-effort, yeah. Mm. Knowledge, like you said, knowledge just becomes an end in itself. Self-control mm. can very easily become like a list of rules or legalism, you know, mm-hmm. if, without yep. faith permeating all this stuff. Steadfastness, yeah, you can... You can trudge, but without that cheerfulness, it's a horrible feeling for yourself, yeah. and it also gives a terrible witness to other people. Yeah, yeah. It's like crossing a <laughs> desert with no water. Yeah. You know, why would I do that to myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. And the opposite of perseverance is the apathy that we see so much of around us, really, just that lack of passion or excitement or, or even misspending our effort on the pursuit of happiness. You know, mm. That's just, a, a, to me, another form of apathy <laughs> that we're in. Yeah, you know, I've – okay, so I've been at PLM for 15 years, and I've been through periods. I definitely have not walked this walk perfectly. And I can definitely say for myself that when I – the steadfastness, it's crucial because if you do all of these things, you're adding virtue to faith and and knowledge and self-control. But if you – I don't – how do you say it? For me, it's just been if you take your eyes off the Lord. Mm -hmm. If I take Mm -hmm. my eyes off the Lord, then everything I'm doing – in the Christian life becomes meaningless. Yes, yeah. Well, that's scriptural, right? I I mentioned just a minute ago that verse about uh, running with endurance, the race that is set before us. But what does the writer of Hebrews say right before that? He says, fix your eyes on Jesus because you can't run that race without having your eyes fixed on Jesus. You're very right about that. Yeah, and then you start to look for, and I've definitely done this, you look for life, the life that he's offering, you start looking for it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that could be relationships or that could be entertainment. It could be the world. You just yeah. start – you – It's the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, you yeah, just, for sure. Give yourself over and spend all your effort on that instead yeah. of anything to do with the Lord. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I would say at this point for anybody who – you started well, because I think that's what we were talking about, right? It's not enough mm-hmm. to start well. You have to finish well. Yeah. If you've lapsed into that apathy or you've just grown mm. very weary in well-doing, at some point you took your eyes off of Jesus. Right. And you need to know that, well, one, you got to get out of that place because mm-hmm. that trajectory does not end in that's a good right. place. Yeah. But 
it's not just by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, what did you do at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. And I would even say you could go back to verses three and four and remind yourself of everything God's yeah. given us. You know, yep. get our eyes back on the Lord yeah. and back on Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And then to perseverance, he says, godliness gets added, right? And, you know, I, I don't complicate this. What is godliness? To me, it's being godly, <laughs> being Christ-like, right? right. I mean, but it's, it's a character uh, issue here. Uh, it's the fruit of persevering and seeking to know God, really, you know. And I had a, a commentary here that I jotted down that I thought was worth sharing. Uh, it says, godliness is the spirit of reverence, the holy fear of God, or true piety towards God. The godly man sets God always before him. The thought of God controls his whole life his effort is to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, to live unto the Lord, to seek his glory only. So, in other words, God becomes everything. God becomes huge, and everything else is really small and tiny in our mm. lives. Mm. And we're living out of that awareness of God and his immensity and how wonderful he is. And our desire is to just glorify him and be like mm. him, not so that we can be God in our own life or God in someone else's life, but so that we can reveal him to others. Mm. And the bottom line for me is my inward life lines up with God. If I'm a godly person, if I have godliness, my inward life lines up with God and my outward life reflects that. Right? This is really interesting as I'm looking at this because like in my view, I'm not saying that either of these are right or wrong, but when I think of this, you almost think of yourself as starting here with faith and then virtue and then knowledge and self-control instead, you know, you're going up. But as I'm reading through this, I'm realizing you're going down. Yeah. Like, because faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control, most of that is about how I conduct myself. But then you get to godliness, and it's like, so godliness is, it's all about him. It's not about me. Right. I'm becoming just entranced or encompassed or swallowed up in who God is and what he's like. And that's going to leave, lead to brotherly affection where it's all about my brother. And then mm -hmm. I'm just, at the end, I'm just swallowed up in agape. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like I'm just mm -hmm. diminishing. I'm not becoming something. I'm being I'm letting consumed. God have more expression yeah, yeah, yeah. through me. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. And, and that's the opposite of godliness is that self-life where self is at the center, you know. Hmm. And that's, you know, always been one of the great dangers that I think we deal with even here at Pure Life is, you know, we have that ability to carve out a self-life even within <laughs> some really rigid rules and boundaries. All of us can still do that. Uh, even if you're outside of Pure Life's boundaries, you, you can have the same thing uh, at home with your family or whatever, just carving out a self-life within certain rules and boundaries and expectations that people have placed around you and you are still self-centered and living for self yeah. in the middle of all of it. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but like you said, uh, if we get it right, godliness gets entrenched in us and that produces a brotherly kindness, that brotherly love. The, the word there literally is Philadelphia, the uh, city of brotherly love that we know it as, you know, probably um, most misnamed city there is these days maybe, <laughs> but, uh, but it really is that fraternal affection, the brotherly affection that people have toward one another. And I think we pretty well know what it is. We just don't have a lot of it around. You know, people just don't express it very much. Uh, less and less as time goes by, I, I think, as, oh, yeah. as things are happening, unfolding around us, we're withdrawing from one another, separating from one another, and just less willing to put ourselves out there and give ourselves lovingly to someone else mm. to have a true concern and affection for them. But, you know, and the reason is simple, really, because it's the outward product of all those other inward qualities, you know, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, almost all of that is an inward thing happening. And brotherly kindness now is 
is a, a bit of an outward expression of all of that. And if all of that isn't there, you're not going to see the brotherly kindness. But that's how Christians are supposed to be known, right? By their love for one another. That brotherly affection has to be there or we're not even representing Jesus the way we're uh, commanded or called to. And Nate, if I can just tack on here, uh, because I hear people say a lot of times, you know, well, I don't like him or so-and-so, I don't like him or her, but I love them. And I just want to say that for me, this verse kind of negates that. <laughs> like, you can't really say that uh, truthfully because brotherly love precedes the agape love. And so you can't really choose to love them if you don't like them, I think. There has mm -hmm. to be that brotherly affection first. That's the platform for the agape love. Hmm. So meaning, if you don't like somebody, then there's some level, like you have to f fight against that. It, mm -hmm. God's not He's not satisfied with that thing of, well, I don't like them, but I love them. It's like yes. something need, deeper needs to happen yes. so that you change. You have to see the image of God in that person mm -hmm. so that, you know, getting our eyes back fixed on Jesus, we can see the image of God, the, what he wants them to be, has created them to be, is calling them to be. And I begin to care about that and so into that in their life. And now that brotherly affection will be there and it'll... Uh, it'll show up in my interactions with that mm. person. Yeah. yeah, I've been amazed at how often, I mean, in my own life, I, it, to me it seems like it's two things when it comes to, I'm not saying I've done a great job at it, but in the times where something has shifted between me and somebody that I either, that just rubs me the wrong way or we don't naturally click, it's prayer. Mm-hmm fighting for them in prayer, yes. extending myself to them in just like a friendly way and going out of my way to get to know them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was just going to say myself. It's <laughs> just taking time to actually get to know yeah. them past that surface dislike stuff, mm -hmm. whatever it is I'm seeing and reacting to. When I really have gotten to know them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I actually can like this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, for me, the other thing that's really helped is to realize that at the core level, we are not really any different. Mm, very true. So the, the things that motivate me are going to have certain expressions and may be very different from the expressions that I see in other people, but the core yeah. is going to be the yes, same. that's right. The and root is the same. And so if I can just humble myself to realize, okay, we're different, but we're the same, what do I want from the Lord? I want mercy. I want kindness. Mm. I want grace. Yeah. I have to be willing to be a channel of that for other people. That's right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, Rex Andrews' statement that if we just turn our heart into a seat of mercy, into a mercy seat mm. instead of a judgment seat, <laughs> yep. that's really what needs to happen. Yep. Yeah. And, and if we don't do that, you know, if we don't continue in this uh, progression here and get to the brotherly love, what we're left with, the opposite of that is lust, the taking mm. mentality instead of the giving mentality. That's an awful place to end up. Of course, you and I understand that firsthand all too well. Um, and the final stage in all of this, or step, if you want to look at it that way, is love, that agape love, that uh, divine love. You know, in some ways, Nate, it's like we think we know what love is, but it's amazing how easily we settle for all the counterfeits or something less than true love, right? Uh, agape love is... God's love, divine love, but it's centered in the will, not the emotions. And I think that's what really sets it apart from any other experience or expression of love is it's centered in the will. It is ultimately a choice that we have to make. And the emotions will follow that eventually, but sometimes they're there and really vibrant, and other times they're just not there at all. You know, like take my, my wife. I love her, <laughs> you know, but there are times she can get under my skin a little bit or, you know, just whatever. Didn't do what I wanted her to do, and I'm selfish <laughs> right. enough to, to have a problem with that <laughs> still. <laughs> right. but, uh, but I 
love her, and that's why I get convicted over those times and want to go back and make that right. Like I wasn't loving in that moment, and mm. please forgive me, even, you know, because love is what the Lord is after. That's the, to me, Nate. That's the thing to remember about all of this is the love is the thing that God is after. He is love, and if you want to be like Him, you're going to have to become that love and. That's his highest command to us even, is to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Everything we have. So Mm. God himself is love. And if we don't do that, the opposite of that love is idolatry. And that's where we can end up. And, you know, so we have this progression of qualities that we've been talking about, you know, faith, then virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. But um, the opposites create the same kind of chain, if you will, Nate. And I just want to point that out, that if the opposite of faith, that unbelief, links to cowardice, to deception, to unrestraint, to apathy, to your self-life, to being filled with lust, to idolatry. And it works the same way. So if you find yourself in any of those other things, you know, dealing with lust, dealing with idolatry, having a robust self-life, you're going to have to go back to the beginning because faith was the foundation and there's something wrong right there, uh, the way I would see it, that has to get dealt with and corrected. There's something wrong in the very foundation and that's what essentially the residential program does is, you know, we start <laughs> with faith and getting people to a real faith and a genuine faith that includes repentance and all those things, and then building on that and trying to develop all of these things. I really actually look at these as as kind of a pyramid. I know you were talking about a ladder down, and, and that's one way to visualize it for sure. For me, sometimes I visualize it as a pyramid kind of with uh, faith at the foundation and then the building blocks of uh, these other qualities, virtue mm. and knowledge and self-control, and they're each one getting a little bit smaller as they go up because in the way I believe it happens is the largest one is at the bottom. Like you'll never have more virtue than what you have of faith. And you'll never have more knowledge than what you have of virtue. And you'll never have more self-control than what you have of knowledge. Uh, Did I say that right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yes. And, And so forth, all the way up to like the love that God's after at the top. You'll never have more of that love than what you have of the brotherly love and the other things that stack up to help mm. bring us to that the top of that pyramid. But that's that's what God's really after, as I mentioned earlier, is that love. And so you and I just need to keep going through kind of this cycle, you know, enlarging our faith so that it can support more of these other things and, and, and working through them. And that can be a little bit discouraging sometimes. I went through a phase of that in my own life. I was like, oh, does this just never end, you know? And, and <laughs> right. well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> that's that's the truth of it. But, right. you know, it helped when I pictured it more. Like somebody reminded me, hey, when, I, when you went to school, you know, you had English, math, history, science. You know, I had those things in first grade. I had them again in second grade, third grade, you know, all the way, you know, seventh grade. I'm still taking math, English, history, science, you know, 12th grade, math, English, history, science, go to college, math, history. It's all still there. Well, if we look at our spiritual life like that, you know, we're, we're taking the same subjects, but it wasn't the same. You know, my second grade math was way different than my 12th grade math, I assure you, you know, and that's what we have to remember about our life in God. Like it feels like you're dealing with some of the same things and you are going through some cycles of growth, if you will, but it's not the same uh, level of growth. You're you're actually getting to a, a higher level, if you will. Hmm. Man, this is amazing. Hmm. Um, and I think it just at the very end, the, the verse that came to me was... Uh, that fear not, little children. Yeah. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. That's which a... is what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. A richly, well, this is the ESV, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. That is true. Yeah. Hmm. So it's good work. It's, it's good work. It's worthwhile work. It's work that's fruitful. 
and yeah, again, at the very end of the whole series, just please, please develop a rich relationship with the Word of God where you're seeking Him in the Word and that relationship with Him and then seeking to live it out. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, podcast friends, that does it for our series, A Firm Foundation. And this series has been really special for me, and I hope it's been that for you as well. Um, Early on, I prayed a number of times that God would use this series to inspire you to make the study of his word a very real priority in your life. And for me, that prayer was fueled by the memory of what God's word did for me in my own life. Because I remember what it was like to have chaos and fear and gloominess and cynicism just like camped out in my mind. And what I found in God's word was a gold mine of truth about him, truth about how he works, truth about his goodness, And as I spent time in his word over the years, almost without me realizing what was happening, my inside world was being adjusted to his truth. And so that fear, gloominess, chaos, and cynicism, it doesn't have a hold over me anymore. Now, the journey to that kind of peace has not been easy. It's been full of twists and turns starts and stops. Sometimes I'd go down the wrong path and have to retrace my steps. But through it all, God's word has remained like a harbor of hope for my mind and a safe place for my heart and a source of truth for my soul. And so that's why I pray that you will avail yourself of God's word in a very real way. As always, our mission is is to help Christians find victory over sexual sin and healing from its consequences through a deep life in God. And I pray that you will find that God's word is a huge part of that journey. All right, that's it for today. God bless you. We'll see you next time on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.